The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey everybody, happy Thursday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me today. We've got a couple of interesting subjects coming up. A little bit later on in the program, we're going to talk to Michael Betzold, the contributor to Deadline Detroit, about a public meeting that he went to in Jefferson Chalmers. Of course, the city getting ready to unveil some some plans uh, and some neighborhood revitalization strategies over there. But are the neighbors buying into it? We'll talk a little bit about that on the program. And first, we're going to talk to Michael Gerstein of Michigan Advance and MichiganAdvance.com about what is going on with the DEQ, this back-and-forth political battle that is happening right now. It's got everybody a little bit confused. We'll try to clarify that for you coming up on today's show. Stick around. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit, starting right now. Hey, I'm Craig. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Really do appreciate it very much. Now, one of the stories that I've been watching up in Lansing pretty carefully is what is going on with the Department of Environmental Quality. There, of course, is a move to rename it as EGLE, Department of the Environment, Great Lakes and Energy, a.k.a. EGLE. Of course, Governor Whitmer issued an executive order a couple of weeks ago rebranding the department and getting rid of some committees within that department that had some corporate oversight of environmental rules. This is something that environmental groups have been calling the... The Fox Guarding the Henhouse Acts. They didn't like these at all, wanted to see business interests taken off of a panel that should be looking at environmental science. This is something that Republicans vehemently opposed. So, of course, just last week, they voted to override those decisions. The first time in decades, in fact, that we have seen an executive order overridden by the legislature. It's not the right foot to start off a new relationship with. When we're talking about a need for bipartisan cooperation, the first move out of the out of the gate is to reject that. Well, could... Make the relationship a little bit rocky, shall we say. So, Governor Whitmer, what she did instead, of course, asked Dana Nessel, the Attorney General, to issue an opinion as to whether or not her actions were legal or was she overstepping her bounds as the legislature complained. In the meantime, she did talk to the legislature and again has issued another version of this order, this time getting rid of one of the, of one of the committees but keeping the other two that still have some corporate oversight. Now, why is this such a contentious issue? Why is business so adamant about being on these boards and having some say in environmental regulation here in the state. Well, that's part of this push-pull that goes back to the economy versus the environment that's always been a part of Michigan. I sat down a little bit earlier today and spoke with Michael Gerstein. He's a reporter who's been covering this for Michigan Advance, michiganadvance.com, and I asked him about that historic push-pull. You know, these companies need to, in some way, uh, change materials that they get from the earth into, you know, the products that they that they make uh, so that they can earn a profit, right? Uh, so there's always this tension between protecting the environment and uh, trying to protect the economy. Well, well, Michael, I mean, there's going to be a legal challenge to this anyway, it looks like, at least at least some sort of a legal ruling. Uh, Dana Nessel expected to issue an opinion as to the legality of some of the moves that uh, Governor Whitmer is trying to make here, um, which could sort of uh, render... Uh, any of the actions by the legislature is moot at this point in time, um, even if she makes a deal with them at some point. Maybe then, you know, the Dana Nessel doesn't go forward with the opinion if everybody's happy with this. Uh, but what is the potential 
here. If, if indeed Dana Nessel says the governor is acting within her authority with this executive order, could she turn around and just basically do what she did the first time? Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's kind of the uh, the, the card that uh, Whitmer has up, up her sleeve on this, you know, um, uh, it's anybody's guess as to you know how likely that will be. But the governor seemed pretty clear with reporters uh, before after the after the House rejected this the first time. You know she held a press conference that I was at, uh, among other reporters, and and she told us you know straight up that this is something that environmental lawyers in uh, in the attorney general's office believe. Uh, is you know is illegal these these two boards uh, so I imagine that the unless she's changed her position yeah the governor expects the attorney general to strike these down and if that were to happen you know that that uh, that opinion from the attorney general would be legally binding for state departments until it was overturned by a court or if it was. Well, you know, and I, I think it's important, Michael, if we sort of get into the original intent of what Governor Whitmer, Whitmer was suggesting she was trying to do by doing this in the first place. Uh, she said this is about ensuring that there is clean water uh, for every citizen here in the state of Michigan. Uh, but really, it seems to me, and I'm just, you know, looking at this, this is an attempt to reverse the so-called fox in the hen house laws. Uh, that were passed again during the Snyder administration, which gave industry a seat at the table when it came to uh, oversight of DEQ rules. And a lot of uh, environmentalists saw that as, as business supplanting science um, and business interests, economic interests, taking over uh, the public good on this question. Uh, and and I don't get a sense that there's going to be a lot of, of uh, agreement on the two parts as to the proper role here. I mean, the DEQ has never been something that business has trusted in, in a lot of ways. Uh, they suggest that they act arbitrarily. At the same time, science uh, many people say science should dictate the policy here. Uh, so is there ever going to be a fundamental balance there that you can see between the two parties? Uh, but that's a great, that's a great question, Craig. Uh, I mean, I think that remains to be seen. Uh, you know, that, that's why I mentioned this, this kind of, this kind of fundamental ideological tension between, uh, between these two stances. And I think that, I think that that tension will will always exist between you know business and, and environmental groups because uh, it's sort of like it, it's, it's looking at uh, the natural world from two very different perspectives. Uh, you know, one one writer once said some people see foxes and some people see pelts, uh, and and I think that the, uh, you know to some extent that's the debate, right? Well, taking a look at this, too, um, you know, the DEQ, like, it's, it's been a political football for a long time. I, I, it was interesting to me that we, you know, had this kumbaya moment uh, after the election that lasted about a day. Uh, they drew a line in the sand in the legislature about this, suggesting that she was overreaching very early on. Any indication at this point in time that this has damaged the relationship between the speaker, the Senate majority leader and the governor's office at this point in time? Well, I wouldn't say there's any there's any evidence, uh, at least in terms of their own personal statements about that. But, but certainly, you know, one would expect, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't imagine the governor was happy about her order being rejected. And uh, Republicans were certainly incensed uh, by uh, the rejection of these panels. Uh, they saw it as, you know, uh, her attempt to usurp their authority and and vice versa. So yeah, I mean, there's this there's this you know political struggle pretty early on in the governor's uh, tenure. Uh, 
but at the same time, you know, Whitmer has said that, uh, you know, this is just, this is just one moment, uh, you know, in a press conference previously and that, uh, you know, they're still working together. And that's something that, uh, both Republican leaders have, have stressed as well in, uh, uh, in, in press conferences. So, uh, I think they're certainly at any rate trying to maintain the, uh, the appearance of, of still working together. I and mean, they released statements yesterday talking about, uh, uh essentially saying they were, they were happy that the governor is working with them on this. Well, you know, I, I think the Senate's going to be a tougher nut to crack here. Uh, Mike Shirky, again, as you, you spoke to him yesterday, suggesting he wants some sort of a definition as to what constitutes environmental justice. Uh, but those of us here in Southeast Michigan and, and people in Flint and, and places like that know exactly what she's talking about there, making sure that um, there is not a, an unequal burden when it comes to um, pollution based on economics and 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 uh and zip codes frankly you look at the marathon refinery here in detroit or again the flint water system these are things that people do care about uh and there has to be some way i i guess to sort of more equally share that burden of environmental problems amongst amongst people maybe that'll never happen i'm not sure but is is that something that Republicans are are completely uh opposed to at this point in time because i mean you know all of these kinds of projects have a very nimby quality to them, right? Not in my backyard. And that has moved a lot of these places uh, and a lot of these facilities that may pollute more to poorer areas. Is there any mm-hmm. indication that they'd be willing to sort of negotiate or talk about a more equitable way to to sort of share that environmental burden? Well, you know, I'll say, uh, you know, under former Governor Rick Snyder, his own task force in, in the wake of the Flint water crisis released a report, you know, citing, uh, in, in, you know, in the report's words, environmental uh, racism as, uh, you know, a, a, a large contributing factor to, you know, why the Flint water crisis took place in, in the first place. You know, after that happened, you, in the media discussion, I, I'm sure, you know, you heard folks talking about, uh, you know, oh, this would have never happened in, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a white neighborhood, in a white city. This would have never happened uh, in a more affluent city either. Uh, and I think that uh, you know that sense of abandonment was was very real for for Flint residents. Uh, it was something that the Snyder administration actually did recognize. So I wouldn't say that, uh, that Republicans, you know, have no notion of this concept of environmental justice. Uh, I mean, I can't speak for for Mike Shirky, but it seems like he just wants a clearer definition of what. Whitmer means when she when she says that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not sure that you know, I'm not sure he's going to like the explanation, but uh, we'll see if that indeed happens. So, so what is the next step here, uh, Mr. Gerstein? Because I don't exactly know what the plan is. She's she's issuing the new uh, the new order. She did that yesterday, as a matter of fact. The legislature's still going to look at it. They may decide to do this again if they don't like the the makeup of the current one. Um, and of course, Dana Nessel is still hanging out there. So, so what do we know at this point in time about whether or not these changes are actually going to be adopted? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's a lot of uh, loose ends uh, right now, but uh, as it stands now, the order is effective on April 22nd uh, of this year, uh, at which point uh, the DEQ would now would uh, would become Eagle, and uh, all the other changes outlined in this 18-page uh, order. Um, the legislature still has another opportunity to reject it if they were to do that. But, you know, some Republicans in, in the last uh, in the last debate about this suggested that, 
if the governor were to retain these business panels. And that was really the main sticking point for Republicans. Uh, if she were to, I should say, <laughs> pro-business panels. Um, if she were to retain these, then they may support it. That's something that, uh, you know, Rep. Uh, James Lower, who sponsored the, the resolution to reject her order, that's something that he said in a, in a committee hearing as well. Um, you know, the flat out, he flat out said she went too far on this one. And, and he, he did say that as well yeah. about, about the panels. This is according right. to your story that I was, uh, that was referencing to, um, That's correct. So, so you take a look at this, you know, here's one group of people that we have not really talked about in this thing. And that is people who work in the department itself. Uh, I mean, I've got some anecdotal evidence, people I know that work for the DEQ that are talking about this, suggesting that some of these changes are needed, especially some of the pro-science people who think that business should not have a seat at the table when we're coming up with environmental regulations. Uh, Governor Whitmer spoke a little bit in her state of the state address about um, employee morale within departments. And I know the DEQ has been suffering a little bit because they have been, you know, moved different places and, and, and shuffled around. I don't know what a dozen times in the last dozen years, almost. Uh, how are the employees there feeling and, and what do you get from the civil servants over there in, in terms of what they want to see? Well, that's a great question. It's very hard to uh, to actually <laughs> reach employees at the DEQ. Usually when you call the department, they refer you, or if you call any employee at the department as a reporter, they'll refer you to the communications department. Of course. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think we know from, you know, uh, statements that Snyder mm-hmm. has made and, and Whitmer also that uh, that obviously the morale is low there because, you know, uh, it, it seemed as though many employees felt that they were just doing their job during the Flint water crisis uh, and, and then uh, sort of uh, crucified for it later. Uh, so naturally, I would imagine that, you know, many employees are, are probably frightened of uh, doing the wrong thing or doing something that it even appears like they're doing the wrong thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, Michael Gerstein, uh, we appreciate your time today. We'll be watching this carefully. Uh, and thank you for your time. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Michael Gerstein is a reporter with Michigan Advance. You can find it at michiganadvance.com, a new nonprofit news source uh, covering all things Lansing and the impact it has on state residents. Um, And we will be checking in with them on a regular basis. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit. One-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor, and The Trip, wise relationship advice with hosts Megan Slattery and Tracy Evans. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Hey, welcome back to The Craig Show. Glad to have you here. Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is actually the official title of that. Can't forget the Deadline Detroit part. It's a great place to go to get a lot of good information and a lot of perspective on stories that actually matter to us. That's what we're about here. Anyway, thanks for being with me today. One of the things that I've been watching pretty closely in the city of Detroit is is neighborhood redevelopment. It's something I've been working on for many years, and it's also something that I'm just quite interested in. So it was with uh, with a lot of interest that I was looking at the city's recent plans to unveil strategies to revitalize several neighborhoods in the city of Detroit. And one of the neighborhoods they're specifically going to be taking aim at is Jefferson Chalmers. 
Now, Jefferson Chalmers, of course, is the neighborhood that is basically uh, uh, abuts the Detroit River and the Gross Point border. So it's the, basically the northeast corner of the city. Uh, and, of course, it's a neighborhood that has a long history, uh, some wonderful parks, a lot of identity, but it has fallen on some tough times in terms of the housing stock. A lot of abandonment was happening over there, some blight that has been dealt with. And, of course, the business corridor has not been as strong uh, as many people think it should be, especially given its location. It's one thing that I used to hear from real estate agents all across the city, that this is a neighborhood that is seriously undervalued for its proximity to water and all sorts of amenities. Now, the city wants to change that. And they've been working with neighborhoods for a long time about getting input, things like that, to find out what people in the neighborhood want. However, there was a community meeting to go over some of those plans and some of the renderings that have been put forth and some of the concepts that have been put forth about what they're going to do to spruce up this neighborhood. And apparently, a number of people who live in the neighborhood said, you are not listening to us. You're not taking our needs into account. So it's a bit of a standoff here. There's always this tension in the city of Detroit. People would like to see some redevelopment happen in their neighborhoods, but they are afraid that there's going to lead to some gentrification or displacement. No different in Jefferson Chalmers. This is a neighborhood that needs some assistance, but people are rightly freaked out about this. So I had a chance to sit down with Michael Betzold. Michael Betzold, of course, is a contributor to Deadline Detroit. He was at this community meeting. Michael, tell me a little bit about what was going on at that meeting. And uh, first of all, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, community engagement is always a, a sort of a, a dicey prospect when it comes to uh, urban planning, when it comes to to neighborhoods. Um, Jefferson Chalmers is, is one of these places uh, that there's always been a lot of community engagement, a lot of very active citizenry over there. And I think the city may be a little bit surprised at some of the pushback that they're getting for some of the redevelopment plans over there. It certainly seems as if that was the case at the last meeting. Yeah, the city went in and, and you know, they... They actually, at the end of the meeting, said this should be a celebration. And there had been people who were raising critical comments and saying that this whole process has been kind of a charade from the start, that it was all set up and there, you know, there was a foregone conclusion. Um, The city's been engaging these folks who are critical uh, by putting them on their residence and action committee. So, you know, they were thanking the volunteers for helping uh, come up with this plan. And then some of the volunteers were were speaking out in opposition to it. So it's kind of strange. And well, you know, at, at the same time, I mean, Jefferson Chalmers has had some problems, like a lot of neighborhoods in the city of Detroit. Uh, and, and I think the, from the mayor's uh, office perspective, um, you know, they see this as a, as a real opportunity to redevelop what should be. Uh, real estate that is, that is, you know, way more valuable than it currently is. Uh, any other city in America with the proximity to the water, the proximity to uh, Gross Point would probably be thriving a little bit more. What are residents worried about? I, I, they don't they don't want to not see development, but is there concern that this is something that is going to uh, maybe displace them? Yeah, that's their slogan, development and not displacement. So many of these folks are longtime residents who weathered the storms in the neighborhood for 30, 40 years. And, you know, there's a lot of active block clubs in Jefferson Chalmers. There are community gardens. There are people who stuck together and they, they don't want to be driven out uh, by plans that would increase the rents in the neighborhood and, and drive up property values and force some of them out. 
but they're more immediate concerns as they want a community center and a rec center in the in the neighborhood and the city is saying that that's not possible not what they not in the way they want they want they want to get back their their pool which they had in the Harris Gentry and they make the point that you know we're they're very near the water and there should be a place where young people could learn how to swim Understood. Uh, rec centers, though, uh, you know, this is something that I've I've seen at almost every community meeting that I went to. Uh, neighbors in every neighborhood in the city complaining that their rec centers are not open any longer. And the city, frankly, has has been lacking the funding to reopen a lot of these places. Um, did they give any sort of sense that this is something that they were going to consider in the future, or is this something that's just off the table? Well, reopening the Harris Gentry, the city says, would cost something like $14 million. Mm-hmm. So they they consider that off the table. So what the city is proposing is some more piecemeal kind of things. Having the auditorium and gymnasium open at Guyton School, which they're going to renovate into housing units on the second floor. And then they're talking about doing something at the Lennox Center, which is a very small building in A.B. Ford Park by the river possibly adding on a gymnasium uh, that really surprised me because it's such a small building and if you put a gymnasium on it it would probably like triple the size of it so and i'm not sure there's a space there to do it yeah and i know that park pretty well um there, there's also a lot of discussion about whether or not there should be a school in the neighborhood. Uh, and I don't know enough about the demographics in that neighborhood to know whether or not there is a population to support a reopening of an elementary school. That's also something that's beyond the city's control. That would be up to the DPSCD if they wanted to do that. Is there any indication uh, that this is something that will come to pass anytime soon? No, the city's pretty much said that the only way they can save Guyton School, which is the old neighborhood elementary school is to use it for other purposes so that's why they're going to build housing there uh the residents you know would still like a k through five elementary in the neighborhood but there's no indication at all that the city has the funds or the the will to to try to make it happen uh you know the city owns that building because the schools sold it to them and the but they pointed out the meeting that the DPS has 70 vacant buildings in the city. And it's a big effort just to try to save any of them from, you know, falling apart completely. So yeah, and again, non-starter with the city. Well, well, Michael, I mean, you know, were you surprised when you were at the meeting? You know, I, these do, things do get a little bit contentious. Residents definitely want to be included in this. You know, the city has made an effort, at least from their perspective, to really engage people in this process. Uh, when you suggested that people were calling this a charade from the start, are they just suggesting that these plans were made without their input? Or are they suggesting that, you know, they're just unwilling to bend on them? They're saying that the city isn't really listening to their priorities, and both the critics of the city and the city itself claim that the other side doesn't represent the views of people who live in the neighborhood. So the Jefferson Chalmers Community Advocates, which is the group that's been critical, did their own survey and came up with a whole different list of priorities, including the school and the rec center, than the city did. The city came up with a couple questionnaires, 
But the last questionnaire, which they used as a basis for supporting their recommendations, had only 162 respondents out of a neighborhood population of 7,000. And the city has been saying for a year that they're trying to, you know, engage with the community and and find out what the community wants. And the, the critics are saying that they really haven't done that. And if they do, they haven't been listening. Well, is there any indication if there is indeed, uh, you know, community pushback to the plans that the city is putting out there that the city would reconsider Jefferson Chalmers? Or is this something that they're going to going to address one way or the other? No, I, I think the city's the city's moving into the implementation phase. And they're pretty much going to go ahead with their plan. Uh, they promise that there'll be more community meetings when they get requests for proposals to do their re- renovation of Guyton School and other projects that everybody will still have an opportunity for input. You know, I've I, I spent a lot of time in Jefferson Chalmers in, in my time and my career over at the Land Bank. We had a lot of meetings over there as we were trying to stabilize some of the some of the housing in that neighborhood. Um, residents there, as you mentioned, are very, very engaged in, in what is happening in their neighborhood. They're very proud of that neighborhood and, and their location. Um, it, was there any concern at the meeting that, uh, you know, the city wasn't doing enough just in terms of just the basic things in that community, again, stabilizing the housing, uh, taking care of, of blight, all these sorts of things. Yeah, I think there's some concern about that and what the residents consider basic includes, you know, a rec center uh, and recreational opportunities for kids uh, and playgrounds as well. Uh, there has there, there There was a new playground a year or two back that the city joined in uh, in rehabbing. But the area around this big school, which is right in the middle of the neighborhood, is a huge piece of property. And I asked at the meeting whether there are plans to put housing actually outside the school on what could be an open space area. And the answer was, well, we'll see what the request, what the developers propose, and then we'll talk about it. Yeah, so so nothing concrete at this point in time, but it certainly sounds like they might be open to any ideas when it comes to that property. Well, Michael, I, I appreciate you giving us the time. It's these it's important to go to these types of meetings because this is just one of several neighborhoods that is going to be getting some sort of a makeover here. Uh, if if you were in a position to uh, speak for the residents who were voicing their concerns, uh, how could, could the city approach this a little bit differently to make sure that citizens don't feel like uh, they're being left out of the process? Well, I I think what they would say is that, you know, you're not really taking into account the people who've been here all along and are going to be here after you folks have, you know, done your process and moved on to something else. So they're ta- they're talking about kind of an an institutional deafness that's, you know, n- maybe not intentional on the city's part, uh, but they just feel that there's a lack of knowledge of what's really basic to the neighborhood and you can't just treat it like any other planning project. So, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing to, uh, to navigate, I think for the city planners. All right. Well, Michael Betzel, we certainly appreciate your time, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Craig.
Michael Betzold is a former reporter with the Detroit Free Press and the Detroit Sunday Journal and a contributor to Deadline Detroit. This has been the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thank you so much for being with me today. Remember, tomorrow is Friday. What does that mean? That means it's time for the Friday Follies, and many of you have been checking that out. I love the traffic that I'm seeing there. It's been a lot of fun. We've got some great guests lined up for tomorrow, and of course, as always... There is no shortage of people in the news to make fun of this week. Just think what we're seeing with Jesse Smollett. Donald Trump, of course, has said some things this week, and we'll get into some of that stuff. There's all kinds. There's always all kinds of stuff to talk about there. So join us for that tomorrow. We'll probably Facebook stream it live right around 11 o'clock tomorrow, so look for it. It's not a precise time, but of course I'll make it available in podcast form. I'll put it up on YouTube. It'll be on Facebook. We'll put it a lot of different places, so you will be able to find it. But I do appreciate the support we're seeing for that. Look for the Friday Follies tomorrow. Thanks for downloading this podcast today, and do me a favor. Tell your friends about us. Let them know that you like what you're hearing, that maybe you're learning something from this program. That's always my goal. And if you uh, like it, share it. Tell people. It all helps. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services.